winged hearts and minds aloft on the breath of Zephyr, looking now up to the rapturous light, next down to the country, natural, slight, then forward, drawn ever by the magnets of awe and education, poles that pull like sea longing, so yearn us for location. That's it. Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome back to Solar Scene. This is the first of a few Lucy Goosey episodes, and this one's going to be about travel in the solo scene. Yeah, it's kind of inspired by a recent trip that we've taken, as well as just our thoughts about how moving around on this suspended blue marble that we call Earth is good for us, or maybe bad for us. I don't know, maybe you can surprise me with some points during the episode, and how it will perhaps be a slightly different concept in the solo scene. Mm, I think it's definitely going to change quite a bit in the solo scene, perhaps as described in your poem. Yeah, nice bringing it back, because I forgot to, to mention. Um, so yeah, I started with the poem. It was a few references. One was this little statue that we saw, which was, I think, Hermes standing on the breath of Zephyr, who's like the western wind. Remember that one? Yes, I do. It's like this guy blowing up and then Hermes standing on the wind. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was one of the coolest statues I've ever seen. And the other one, sea longing, that's like from Lord of the Rings. All the elves have this sea longing. Mm -hmm. Also, I feel like I might sound a little bit sick. We're still sick for those who listened to last <laughs> week's episode. Um, yeah, that's the update. Still sick. Uh, yeah, the elves have the sea longing, which like they always hear from the West. They want to go that way. And the other thing, like the last line, we yearn for location. I was like, what does that mean, location? Because I feel like we only we often hear that word in the context of like location tracking. It's a very digital, mm -hmm. like um servicey, surveillancey thing these yeah, days. Yeah, I mean if you're meeting a friend, you're not gonna say, I'll meet you at this location, you'll say this spot, this place. But yeah. if you're Googling something, you'll Google a location or Right. But if you're meeting a friend, then you might say, Send me your location. True. Is what I'm talking about. There's like a digitalness to it. And I don't know really know what it means in the context of the poem or in the context of travel, but it's just like this idea, I think, anyway, about us being digital citizens more than citizens to any particular place, country, town, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so when we're traveling, it's like quite often I think it can be the only time that we are living in location, seeing mm -hmm. real locations rather than just living virtually, as it were. Yeah. Anyway. If you like Solar Scene, subscribe, yeah. like, review. Reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, those are my favorites, so mm -hmm. I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah, sure thing. We also have a weekly letter that we send out via email. You can subscribe to that. It's called Field Notes. And we also have a book club. So if you want to join the Solar Scene book club, send us an email, an Instagram message, a pigeon, and we will add you to the book club. It's really fun. We're reading the overstory. We've only had one meeting, so it's there's still lots of time to join. It's a long book, and it's a collection of short stories, so you're not going to miss out if you missed the first week. And if enough people join, we can always just go back, honestly. So the first question for today was, what's with the saying, a life you don't need a vacation from, or create a life you don't need a vacation from? Why do we even have to have that in today's society? Or as I wrote. You wrote, a life you don't want to vacation from. How writerly of him. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't very writerly. And also, I should have perhaps written a life from which you don't need to vacation. 
if you don't want a vacation fund. I remember I first encountered this saying on the like billboard. You know those billboards where they change it with the letters? Mm-hmm. But it's not always advertisements. Sometimes it's like sayings. Mm-hmm. It was the local chiropractors. Uh, they put it on the outside. So yeah, really inspiring. We'll try not to make it too funny an episode because every time I laugh, I cough quite a lot. So <laughs> we'll try to be extra dull today. Mm. So what's with that saying? And how does it relate to the solo scene? Well, hopefully in the solo scene, more people will enjoy their day jobs, enjoy their day lives. Enjoy, enjoy the people around them. Yes. Enjoy the place where they live mm-hmm. so that they're not just relying on two days a week. Thank goodness I don't have to go to work or two weeks a year. Thank goodness I can get out of Dodge, mm-hmm. which I think a weird amount of people, um, not a weird amount, like it, it makes sense, but it's a sad <laughs> amount of people um, live for basically. And I, I feel quite full heartedly for those people. I think it's a, mm-hmm. it's a really sad like economic state or whatever, but I also found the statistic, which is that for nearly two thirds of working adults, the benefits of time away, i.e. vacation, dissipate within a few days. Ah. Because I always think it's funny when, like, let's say someone's like really burning out and then they go to the beach for a week or two and then they come back and even within a week they're back to being normal. People are like, well, you just went on vacation. And really, I mean, they might still be tanned, but how does that actually help them? When, like, I, I always think of a day at work as it's just a day. Like, you doesn't care about the days previous nor really the days after it's like mm-hmm. it's these hours that i hate it's not everything that came before per se although that doesn't help yeah i mean vacation in this sense in the modern sense would be like taking a tylenol when you have a fever it's like yeah it's gonna stop it but as soon as it wears off you're you're gonna have a fever again exactly it's just the symptoms yeah and i find a lot when i've been on vacations from work like you have a week off and Perhaps you don't even go anywhere. The first few days are like bliss, but then you quickly realize, I have to go back to work. I'm not feeling rested enough. Because there's always this magical feeling before you go on vacation that you're going to just come back with like a whole new world of energy. You're actually going to finally get to rest and actually feel peace. But it doesn't usually happen because it's not magic. Like it's just another few days. So you need to find ways to treat every day like a vacation find ways to slack <laughs> off be a george <laughs> be a george costanza yeah i don't know if we're at the point where you can just reference <laughs> them by their first names except perhaps kramer yeah last name in that case <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think you could say you got to be like cosmo mm-hmm. um i was also thinking about vacationing at home these thoughts are kind of disparate so far but you know when people say just take a home vacation go to some local restaurants take the week off work um rest at home and mm-hmm. i wonder how different that is from going to the beach mm-hmm. in cuba what say you i think the way the things are it's a little different but not that different mm. um what i was thinking is like building vacation into your life not just yeah taking a little oh we're gonna go out for supper we're gonna do this but i do think that's part of it of building some kind of variety into your daily or yes. weekly routine, because yes. right now our routine is routine. It's true. But I don't think <laughs> it needs to be boring. Because you and I are both quite routined people. You much more so than I. Very much. Yeah. But we have a very sporadic 
way that we spend some of our time. Sure. So perhaps we always have one fun day a week. And it's yes. not like it's prescribed. It's not Friday between one and three. It's just mm. like, oh, we haven't really had anything new this week. So let's cook a different meal, go somewhere new, stay up late, be a little crazy. Like we have yeah. just a little bit of craziness built in. And then nothing ever really feels boring. And not because I'm at work thinking, oh, I can't wait for that fun day. It's just like the joy just kind of lasts because it's more frequent. Mm. And it's not like we're out here spending thousands of dollars because that's what a lot of vacations are for people. It's a lot of money, which is also quite stressful because you have to constantly be thinking about saving up for the vacation and going on the vacation and budgeting. But if you just try and yeah, build vacation into your life, I think it's very helpful. I've been meaning to tell you, though, I think we should get rid of the fun days. I've decided to, oh, okay. to cancel the fun days. Yeah, I can tell because you're wearing this turtleneck today. You're just yes. canceling all the fun days. Canceling fun. This is mm -hmm. my canceling fun tut. Okay. Um, if people weren't so stressed out all the time, they could travel with the aim of traveling, getting something from it, growing their horizons, as you might say, mm -hmm. testing their comfort zones, rather than it being this kind of psychological damage control on the beach. Mm -hmm. You say, I need to get away yeah. because this place is like a pressure cooker. My mm -hmm. brain's going to pop. So yeah, it's about kind of divorcing the notions, making, making them not synonymous, travel and vacation. Mm -hmm. Like those are quite different. I would say that what we just went on most recently, it was three weeks, was much more travel than vacation because it wasn't exactly relaxing. It was the opposite of relaxing, yes. Quite stressful in some very cases. Very stressful but time. All, but it's still altogether enriching yes. and, uh, and worthwhile. But like, what is relaxation anyway? I, I don't like the idea of tying relaxation to I need to get away. Because mm -hmm. relaxation seems like, a, this is getting a little bit off topic, but it seems like a strange concept. Mm -hmm. You know, it um, perhaps like relies on the majority of your time being time crunch. Yeah, always trying to be productive, always trying to use your time to the best of its ability. And I think, yeah, we say, well, we come home, what do we have? Five hours, all we can do is watch a couple Netflix shows and make supper. Yeah. But the thing is, you need to intentionally try to create balance and like never let your mind get to that state of stress and anxiety. And obviously, that's not easy. But in the solo scene, the jobs will be a bit more meaningful. So your days are not going to be that overwhelming anyway i say a lot more yeah um, so bringing it back solacini creating the solacine life that doesn't need vacations yeah but will instead inspire travel mm -hmm. all the same because as we'll talk about later i think that's a very positive concept mm -hmm. um and activity for people in their lives what will those solacine you know why will that be less vacation requiring well, my first thought is that our homes will be a bit more pleasant to be in. Yeah. I mean, lots of people like their houses and they like their homes, but it's not a place that they go to relax. They think, if I need to relax or get away, I'm going to go to a cafe or go away on vacation. But I think we can create homes that are dynamic, so they have the opportunity to be changing decor, changing the types of things that go on there even, because... Right now, our homes are very stagnant things. You move in, you bring your things, put them all away. I'm looking at ours because we just moved in. But you never, 
that it never changes. And then you have the exact same routine. I wake up here, I go drink my coffee in this seat, and so on. But I think a few ways that we can create them to be a bit more dynamic and inspiring is by having new people in them. So perhaps you say, oh, I don't like having people over because then they judge me. People just like being invited into other people's homes, or at least that's my experience, and they don't really care what yeah. it's like. Vampires, definitely. Vampires? Yeah, they love being invited into yeah. other people's homes. <laughs> but I think inviting people in, and then it almost like gives a new life to your space for those few hours and even afterwards, because it like, literally just brings life into the space. And I think, okay, I'm going to change a few plants. I'm going to learn how to paint and put up a new painting every once in a while. And just like making it a space that is enjoyable and enriching to be in. Yeah, I would say not just the home. I don't like that idea of bringing people in. Let me say that, first of all. Mm -hmm. But I can see where you're coming from and perhaps some of our listeners will like that. I don't know, not me. But <laughs> I like the the home idea because it's telling how often you go into, like you go on vacation, should I say you travel, you go somewhere and you go into the hotel room and you're like, <sighs> so nice. Yeah. And I mean that like sincerely. We always think that. It's like, this is lovely. Because yeah. how plain it is. And mm -hmm. it seems like it's a nice dare I say, relaxing spot. It's like, this is the hotel mm. room. But our homes, we, we don't often treat them like that. Partially because everything has the pressure to be the office, you know, like so often it's like a, it's a productivity hub. Mm -hmm. But also I think you're right that we just don't try to make them really nice quite often. Mm -hmm. Like they're not nice places to be in. And not, yeah. not just the homes, but the offices, the roads outside our homes, mm -hmm. the local parks, the streets, those should all be nice places also. We shouldn't have to, or we shouldn't feel the need to anyway, whether it's the case. We shouldn't want to go cross-country or cross-continent to feel like we're in a pleasant-looking, feeling, smelling um, environment. Yeah, you go somewhere new because you're like, oh, there's so much going on here. The people are so fun. The food is so good. But it's like you could just kind of bring a little bit of that to your community. And I know in the solo scene, the communities will be a lot more vibrant, for lack of other words. Like there'll just be a lot more going on. Hmm. Oh, there's a festival once a month just for something random local. Yeah. And it's like you won't have to go away to get that authentic experience of like, something interesting and something human whereas where a lot of us live is like you just feel like you're living in a sims game like there's nothing actually human about it it almost feels well i think that might be because of the big metallic um beasts riding around <laughs> that we call stink chariots that some people call cars because otherwise whether there's festivals or not humans are humans mm -hmm. i i live in my quiet town and so seeing how about that with no festivals Maybe it's just my <laughs> maybe it's just my sickly mind. I feel like <laughs> current sick, dejected mind. So far, you've cancelled fun, no people, and yeah, you live no, alone. I said, in the... Yes, people, just not in the home. <laughs> <laughs> Homes are not for people; they're for clocks. <laughs> um, nice tables. We're recording on a nice new table. If people want to see it, it's on YouTube. Yeah, a nice two hundred year old table, which I'm really happy with. Okay, you don't have to <laughs> brag too much. So I think we about covered that wife in the solo scene need not vacation. I think that's pretty intuitive for people anyway. Mm -hmm. Just check out the sign outside your local chiropractor. Speaking <laughs> of your local chiropractor, by the way, let me tell you about the organism of the week. Um, on Solo Scene, we don't have sponsors, so we kind of feature each episode our own biological sponsor. Um, and this week's is the Common Swift. 
Swift. Yeah, Latin name, Apus, Apus. I seem to have misplaced the drawing. <laughs> there it is. Close your eyes. Open them. It's a bird. Yes, Swift. A black and white bird. Well, I think it's black and white. My phone is set to monochromatic, <laughs> so I was drawing the picture of it. No, it's, uh, it's mostly blackish brown. Okay. But I also think, think also I drew it with like a navy pen, so okay. has some white on it though. Yeah. Do you know why I chose this bird for this episode? I'm guessing it's spiny. But for this episode, I mean the travel, travel episode. Do they travel very far? They travel very long. They can spend up to ten months in continuous flight. World record holders. What? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, that's what I thought when I heard of this. How do they the sleep? First time in elementary school. What? They sleep while they glide from high altitudes. That's they, they can crazy. Sleep, they can sleep like this. They don't wow. often go for 10 months, but they can go for 10 months, is what I'm saying. Wow. Yeah. They eat, drink, often mate, sleep, all while flying. Or as the ornithologists say, in wing. In wing. Yeah. Um, 17 centimeters long. Mm-hmm. They often form screaming parties. <laughs> Oh, great. They have a distinct, distinctive scream. <laughs> what do you mean, oh, great? Because I know you're going to want to have a lot of these as pets. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I would, I'm going to have want to have a lot of screaming parties. <laughs> yeah. I already have some of those. <laughs> um, you're sounding so angsty. What's interesting is that they have a, a very high survival rate compared to other birds. Well, I guess if they have such endurance. Because they can fly so long, which means that predators have less of a chance to get them because mm-hmm. usually they attack while they're nesting or whatever. And also parasites. They have less can't of a chance. can't catch them. Because, because, exactly, because they are in the air. Um, they build their nests of airborne material caught in flight, bonded with saliva. <laughs> Yum. Migratory. Mm. They're kind of all over. Portugal, Ireland, Africa, they spend a lot of time there. Siberia, they go everywhere except North America, I think. That's a little sad. Um, what were some animals that, like, when you heard of them, you were inspired by when you were very young? Because this was it for me. Yeah, that is a really crazy bird. Although I remember, sorry to interrupt, I remember my teacher telling me it was 10 years. 10 years? Yeah, so... I think they might have misremembered themselves. I think you might have just been trying to wow you. To wow me, yeah. <laughs> yes. I remember the poison dart frog. It still sticks with me. I did a project on it just because they're so tiny and so bright and yeah, so poisonous. Right. And I really took a lot of inspiration from them in my personality. Okay. But when <laughs> did you learn about that? Just in grade four science, I guess. You know about tree frogs? Tree frogs, yeah. I knew red-eyed tree frogmen from some Disney cartoon. Possibly The Emperor's New School. And also, my frenemy, you know him, Mm -hmm. had a red-eyed tree frog. Really? Yeah, that was my one enjoyment about going to his house. (laughs) I feel like it's a real frenemy trait. They have a... (laughs) Oh, strange pet. Strange pet, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, there's like an alternate version of your pet. Mm -hmm. I always thought that Malfoy... He should have had a pet. Mm-hmm. He didn't have one, right? I don't think Malfoy had a pet, yeah, no. I think he should have had an evil version of Hedwig. So, um, the underrated joys of local travel. Mm-hmm. That's the next question for today's episode. Uh, local travel. What does this even mean? What does that mean? I think it means getting outside of your 
three to four kilometer radius. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Because, I mean, we live our entire life for months at a time without leaving probably a two kilometer radius if yep. we're being practical because why would you if you don't need to? Mm-hmm. And so I think local travel is anything outside of that, perhaps even within it, if you go to the exact same places every day. Yep. And a bit more broadly to neighboring towns, provinces, I'd say within your nation. Yeah, depending on the size of your nation. Yeah. I wouldn't call cross or inter interprovincial travel in Canada local. Yeah, it's with, not really with few exceptions. Yeah. Just because Canada is a continent mm-hmm. masquerading as a country. Um, I had a stat about commutes. That was something I was thinking about local travel because, as you say, so many people live within two, three kilometers. Me, probably two, three hundred meters. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always thought about it is not just where you go, but also how you get around makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Like lately, well, especially on our trip, we were taking quite a lot of metros and buses, which I don't do so often where we live. And it was actually like a new experience for me. Mm-hmm. And it was partially obviously because we were in a new area, but it made me want to take more metros where we do live because just a different way of seeing things. Um, and obviously you're in with a different crowd. It's kind of cool. I don't know. Commute. One fifth of commuting Canadians have a commute of over 45 minutes, wow. one tenth of over an hour. I never thought that was so tragic, such yes. a tragedy. But who am I to say? Maybe some people really love their commute. I know. Mm-hmm. Like if I was cycling for 45 minutes every morning, I might enjoy it. Mm. So what I wanted to kind of get at with this local travel was it's partially about seeing new places within your area, partially about seeing them in different ways by going in different places, but also partially about um, finding ways of getting around that you enjoy because so much of our lives, however walkable your life is going to be and and so is seen and nice with transit and bikes and all this stuff, a huge percentage of our lives will be in transport Mm -hmm. so we shouldn't just write that off as boring time Mm -hmm. we should find ways to love the process getting around yeah something that i remember a person doing in a play in university was they were the lead so obviously they had an insane amount of lines they were playing faustus and within two or three days she had all of the lines memorized she yeah, there was a woman playing oh, Faustus <laughs> because Typical she was that good. Um, but she had it all memorized. Everyone was like, I mean, I know you you really like this role, but how did you have enough time? And she said, well, my transit every day is a few hours. So I just recited the recited the lines on the bus and she memorized them in a few days. And I was like, I guess that's one way to spend a very, very long commute. And... Yeah. Just stuck with me. Can you think of any meaningful, memorable, enjoyable, or productive <laughs> um, transit times that you've taken? I remember on my school bus trips, used to be my favorite part of the school day because mm. I hated what came between them, school. Um, I would do a lot of assignments on the way to mm-hmm. school, sometimes on my iPod Touch. Shout out to that little blue boy who... Uh, <laughs> Melted one day on a water slide or whatever happened to it. I don't remember. (laughs) But I also read a lot, eat. Mm -hmm. Kind of lean my head against the window and be adolescent with some music. Yeah. Enjoyable times, though. I look back on them fondly. That's good. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I didn't really have that. I've always really, really despised any 
mechanical forms of transit. I've just always gotten sick. I remember every day on my way to school, no matter if I took a bus or was driving with someone, I would get nauseous. That was a really great way to start the school day, just nauseous. Um, but I really like biking to and from work. But specifically, I started walking and listening to the news on my way to work around Montreal, and I really like that. I find mm. it's pleasant, and you can play it quietly, or you just take out your headphones and don't listen to it at all. And it's a great way to spend a morning. I just find it's very, it's the most me time that you can really have is when you're alone, alone going from one place to another. Yeah. Planes. Yeah. Planes. We watched a lot of movies on the planes. Mm-hmm. Um, long bus ride we took. Yeah, we took a 14-hour bus ride. Overnight. Yeah. When I was thinking about local travel, I considered our upbringing in Nova Scotia and how disconnected everything was i mean i lived in a county so there were six towns and practically you could have walked from one town to the next in about half an hour 40 minutes but you would have been walking on the shoulder of the highway so i always thought it'd be great if there was a bus here and apparently there was about 20 years ago and it just came back but just making local travel more accessible to young people because that's really important for creating well-rounded people is not just confining them into this three-block radius until they're 18 and then they have the world as their oyster because it's going to be daunting. So it's like if you slowly expose them and let them, okay, you can go to the next town over and then when you're in university, you can afford to go a few cities over or whatever and then just like slowly allowing it to be more accessible Instead of just like all or nothing, you either have enough money to pay for a plane ticket to get out of here or you're stuck here forever. And I think making it more accessible, also including like bike rentals, because we rented these electric bikes when we were traveling. And I thought that was really nifty. Yeah. Also, though, there was um, because the bikes didn't work out 100 percent just because of our planning. We did have to walk between train stops, essentially, which was mm -hmm. from town to town, which would have been quite a nightmarish walk but there was on the shoulder of the highway as you mentioned but there was a extensive sidewalk mm -hmm. beside a highway which was quite impressive much of it shaded yeah so so just like thinking about this and making it accessible not just with the cars because our whole lives if you didn't have a car you couldn't leave your neighborhood and not just young people older people anyone who perhaps couldn't afford a car or who didn't want to own a car or who didn't want to pay hundreds of dollars in gas. Like most people are confined to just this small little area, even if they have a car. And I think in the solo scene, we'll just consider that a bit more and weigh the benefits of having people be mobile. Because if you just create people who aren't able to move around, then they're going to be closed-minded, I think. On my solo scene uh, episode bingo card, I had um, criticized cars. Oh, okay. That's a good thing. Good. <laughs> uh, some solar scene specific points I had with regards to local travel, obviously walkability and town design and all that stuff. Nooks and crannies are important. Cleanliness mm -hmm. um, is very important. And then two, I was thinking about camping, like yeah. camping in local spots. I don't mean like in the middle of the road, but I mean in the wilderness, which is close by the towns and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. I think is is very it's a nice idea anyway, because you get to hang out with the local berries. 
and yeah. the local rabbits. I think that's really important is having, by the time you're 16, say, having like a comprehensive understanding of your local environment and of your local history and peoples. And it will make you then respect other people mm. and other places so much more because you'll think, because if you just have a cursory kind of surface level understanding of your area. Like me. Yeah. And then you hear that there's something happening 10 towns over and it's like you just will see the surface of that problem and not understand that it's perhaps a wicked problem or a lot more layers yeah. exist to it. I'm speaking about like a climate issue, but also socially because you'll be like, oh, why are they protesting? That's silly. It's just like that was hundreds of years ago. But if you understand your own history and your own places, biology, it'll translate well to being kinder to other people, I think. Yeah. That seems like a bit of a reach, but um, <laughs> the other thing is if you ever go on an adventure, yeah. local, like there's a map. If someone said to me like, oh, the treasure's at the brook, I'd be like, where's the brook? I don't know mm -hmm. where that is because I don't know my place very well, but hopefully kids will have more of a sense of, you know, it's down by the brook, mm -hmm. like that. It's down by the oak tree. Yeah, I'm talking about that, like Lassie or something. Um, and the other point I had was, for the solo scene, adult field trips. Discuss. <laughs> I think that's an interesting idea. It has a negative connotation, I think, because people are like, oh, why am I'm an adult? Why would I go into a bus with all these other adults and go mm -hmm. down to the recycling plant? But what I'm trying to um, re recapture is that feeling of excitement and where are we going? I don't know where we even though you know where you're going. Mm -hmm don't really know where you're going because you're in this big bus there's a bunch of other people you have a little bag with some small raisins and a sandwich in yeah the teacher's there <laughs> you don't like why because the teacher never goes on the school bus with you so that's mm -hmm. weird or maybe they're following behind in the car and that's just bizarre um <laughs> where would you like an adult field trip most people don't want to go to the dump mm -hmm. i might but where would you want to go to I think going to a nature reserve, I mean, in Halifax or in Nova Scotia, there's Sable Island, which I think a lot of adults would like to field trip to. Yes. Just theater. these like mythical places that perhaps you always heard about growing up, but you can't really bring a bunch of kids there to check around. So a bunch of adults go. I think, yeah, a nice theater, an opera. Ooh. I think adults going on field trips. And I also took a note about adults doing extracurriculars again. I think that could be a bit more normal. Just like adults taking adventures or taking risks, being like, well, I have ballet class on Thursday nights. Like, <laughs> it seems a bit weird now, but I think just continuing that sense of adventure and learning and expansion of the mind and the person yeah. is just really, why would that be bad? Calling in sick to work because you're too busy geocaching? Yeah. That's your favorite activity, right? I haven't geocached in probably five years, but I do like geocaching. Anyway, I want, wanted to devote a little section of the episode to all the travel cons worst things about travel mm -hmm. i had three the first we already mentioned can be kind of stressful mm -hmm. i don't think it's the worst thing because i don't think stress is all bad like um i think it's just kind of a risk reward thing like mm -hmm. i think in the solo scene if every job is really meaningful and everything is i'm i believe in what i'm doing for eight hours a day five days a week or four days a week um there's still gonna be some stress involved because mm -hmm. you care about it and i think with travel it'll be the same thing it's like one, you care about it, so you want to maximize your time. And two, you might be in a foreign place, don't speak the language, new to the transit system, new to getting around. Um, 
your plans give out on you, maybe it's a different currency or something like that. So there's all these different stimuli which naturally going to create some level of stress in most mortals. Not me, but in most mortals. I think that's also a good thing because the lessons you learn in those stressful situations, you're probably not going to forget. Mm. Like I know so many things that I learned from this recent trip that I don't think will ever be leaving me because it was in a moment of if we don't figure this out, we're going to be stuck. We will die. Without a place to sleep tonight. And then you figure it out and then it's burned into your memory mm. for better or worse. Uh, the next one was the overcrowding of tourist areas. Mm -hmm. So for this in the solo scene, it's like, how do you remedy that? Because there's obviously some places on earth where it's just everyone wants to go there. And I think that's natural. But I also think if every place was a little bit cooler, then there'd be more places for people to, be, for people to go to. Mm -hmm. And people wouldn't have to flock to like 11 specific sites to see and feel authenticity. Mm -hmm. Which we talked about in our storytelling episode on architecture a little bit. Architecture mm -hmm. and character, which I encourage people to listen to. But yeah, overcrowding. It's not nice. But of course, we were also part of it so can't criticize too heavily and the third one kind of similar is that it turns everywhere into disneyland meaning that every area kind of sells itself out a little bit mm -hmm. because of the tourist industry this is the best way for us to become economically independent or whatever is mm -hmm. to kind of do dances for the tourists mm -hmm. so for this i don't really have much of an answer to I just wanted to talk about some cons because it's not all good for the world and for yeah. the economy. And ecotourism as well, that has its, its drawbacks yeah. we didn't even mention. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the tourism industry contributes 8% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So that's, like, that's significant. Yeah, it's a lot. And so if the world was a bit nicer and you could go a bit closer to home for a vacation yeah, or just a travel, it would be great. And I always think about that. I find we're about to get into travel and idea generation. So this is an idea that I had on vacation. And I feel like everyone who travels has this epiphany of like, wow, I kind of have this at home, but I just always neglect the fact that I could have just gone to the local art museum instead of traveling 4,000 kilometers to go see the Louvre. And I think people should see the Louvre in their life, but you, it makes you appreciate your home a lot more. And so I think in the solo scene, we'll maybe just have that in us from a young age. Very well said. Ideas. Mm -hmm. I-D-E-A-S. Came up with a little acrostic poem for them. Okay. Is. <laughs> I didn't actually. <laughs> I thought I could do it on the fly, but <laughs> that's how bad of a poet I actually am. Um, but I did come up with a little equation for ideas. Okay. That's important. What is an idea? It's a very amorphous concept sometimes. So idea, an idea equals... <laughs> What's so funny? You're just, I feel like you're a different person today. You're just going to pull out a calculator. An idea equals canvas plus interesting stimuli in brackets, both of which with the exponent of urgency that's the best okay. way to come up with it and canvas that means like a blank slate or a problem to solve kind of so it's like when you're on vacation your canvas is the fact that your mind is not 100 percent occupied with work 
when we are usually at home, nine to five, um, the mind is no canvas at all. Uh, yeah, because it's already filled with blotchy grease stains or whatever from the office. And interesting stimuli, of course, that is self-explanatory. It's a little bit, what would you say, subjective. So mm -hmm. I'll just say interesting, meaning fresh, and of course, appealing to one's own personal interests. And urgency is the exponent. That means like most people don't really have it when they travel. But if you said, but I really want to finish this scrapbook or finish this book or finish reading this book, then obviously that helps a lot. Like it's not really relevant mm -hmm. to today's discussion. I just wanted to be honest to the concept of the idea, which is that your idea generation will really accelerate when you have urgency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I was thinking about idea generation and travel, my first thought was that you do need to prepare yourself for it in a way, like prime your mind. Because often when we travel, it's just like, this is cool. I heard about it. It's on a list. Everyone has the mental list. I have the Eiffel Tower, the pyramids, Niagara Falls, and go to New York. And it's like everyone just has this list. And it's like, well, obviously it'll be cool. And it will be cool. But I think preparing yourself like spiritually and emotionally for like, where do I need to go right now in my life? Where, what are the books that I've been reading really leading me to? This is very hippie, but like, you know, priming mm. yourself, like having a reason to go there. I really have always been interested in this type of cuisine, so I'm going to go to this area. And then even if you don't have these pre-existing things, perhaps manufacturing one. Okay, I want to go to Thailand. So reading a bunch of books by local authors and some history, obviously, and some tour guides. And then when you go there, you know what you're looking at. And you can better absorb the things. Because if you just show up in a place like we did, it's just like, cool, there's 30,000 paintings here. I recognize some of them. But had I prepared myself for this, I feel like the ideas when I was there would have been more structured or at least more obvious. So doing some research, doing some prep. Yeah. For sure. I would say that... Um, as you said in last week's episode, you were reading Call Me By Your Name, mm -hmm. and then you went to Italy. Mm -hmm. Northern Italy, no less. Yes. Crema, no less. <laughs> so uh, that was good preparation. Mm -hmm. I know that's like fiction, mm -hmm. but it, it doesn't have to be scientific research. Yeah. It, I just mean like the grounding, as you kind mm. of mentioned. Good points. Um, I was kind of thinking about travel as history lessons. I don't know why these two just seem synonymous to me. I know we visited a lot of historical sites on our trip, but I just feel like everywhere you go, it's a history lesson of some sort. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, it's also like a present lesson. But what you're seeing intuitively uh, and implicitly is the history that took Louisiana to this present, mm -hmm. both in the architecture and in the people and in the dress and in the food and all that stuff. Um, and the good thing about this for idea generation is that there are many problems that you know of that might have already been solved in the place that, you've, that you're visiting. Like, so, mm -hmm. for instance, we went to Rome, and we were like, wow, there's these water fountains, two on every street. Also, this is very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. And it was solved hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. Yeah. How lovely. Um, the other idea of this history lesson is like making some kind of artistic pilgrimage, either visiting famous site or retracing the steps of an author or painter i don't know why but this for me really inspires me as a budding aspiring uh, writer 
but just in general, it makes me feel creative knowing that you are breathing the same air, sitting on the same bench as did Kevin Hart mm-hmm. or one of the other many um, Renaissance men. Yeah. Great artists <laughs> through the world. Yeah, that reminds me. I was thinking a bit for this question of like trying to come up with ideas when you're traveling. And I was like, you. we often, as I was saying, we have that list, but it's like we're trying to squeeze ideas from a for a book out of a Monet painting or say you're an engineer and you go you're like well I guess I'm gonna go to Paris for vacation and then you're just looking at these paintings and you're feeling uninspired because why would you be Mm. so perhaps like tailoring your travel choices to what you want to be inspired yeah by like if you're an engineer then go toward the infrastructure or the ancient infrastructure you don't have to go toward the modern waterworks like that's going to be boring probably even if you are really into waterworks but like taking the the road less traveled to try and that that suits you better instead of all these spaces being kind of overcrowded with people who perhaps only 20 percent of them actually care about what they're looking at because i i mean we all do it like you'll go somewhere you'll be like oh wow this is famous but it's like you don't actually care about it that was me when we went to buckingham palace mm-hmm. except it was honestly it was minus the oh wow and indeed in, even though this is famous because i didn't really recognize <laughs> it at the time until you told me what a squat little <laughs> squat little gray building it's just like oh that's buckingham palace this is also on my soul in bingo card yeah <laughs> that can be our new thing hating cars disrespecting the buckingham palace <laughs> but is it the buckingham or just i think it's just buckingham anyway, palace but that was one of your favorite that was one of your sites that you wanted to see, right? I wanted to see it. And so. then seeing it in person changed my perspective. Mm. I was primed. I was ready. And then I was let down. So that can happen. Yeah. But still uh, made you grow. Mm-hmm. Because, yes. Um, <laughs> and the third point about travel as a history lesson I had is North America specific. But it's the idea that leaving North America is kind of like entering into the real world. Because North America, in a sense, is post-history, post-culture even. And so much of what we have is built on materialism because it's so new. Um, When you go to every other continent, it's like you are seeing what you have previously only read about and or seen in textbooks. Yeah, like people-centric cities. You're like, oh, wait, these actually exist where there's... Things built before cars. Yeah. And just the the great monuments of old and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think there's plenty of really wonderful and beautiful places in North America, but none of it has the same, obviously, history as does things in other parts of the world. So I think travel is a history lesson. I think it's, for me anyway, it was quite important to get out of North America. and another point I had was the Solocene exchanges in school. I think those can be really helpful. Talked about them in the education semester. And also I want to talk about why travel versus virtual tours. Why is travel better? Hmm. Like, for instance, if you wanted to see the Eiffel Tower, why is, it, why is travel better? It engages all of the senses, I would say. Yeah. You get the fact that, oh, this smells a little bit like grass. <laughs> And you smell food and you see and hear things that a tour couldn't capture. And I think when you travel or when you go anywhere in real life, I shouldn't say travel, when you go out on your step versus watching a video of it, 
it's more dynamic. So it's like you could record a video of the Eiffel Tower, but it's going to be the exact same every single time. There's going to be no new light. There's going to be no new people there. So I think being in person is really important. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it. I know it. Yeah. And uh, it kind of stakes the whole podcast on it. So hopefully people <laughs> agree that, yeah, there's just, it's kind of a trick question because, I mean, we've answered it in like a hundred different ways mm-hmm. previously. But I just think that, as you said, the context, so it's not just a tower, it's everything around it that you don't mm-hmm. usually see, smell, hear, taste, and the texture, all that you can feel. And also it's just the knowledge. I'm not sitting on my couch with a Mark Zuckerberg-provided helmet on my head. That's the third on the bingo card. Um, I'm actually <laughs> there. But in terms of idea generation, the, the, like travel versus virtual tours, why does that help? Hmm. Like, let's say idea generation being in the Louvre versus just seeing pictures of the art. I would say part of it is that you, you care more when you're there because that thing, like I'm not sitting on my couch, and also there's the anticipation because you have to get there mm-hmm. rather than just very quickly looking it up in five seconds. And you can't revisit that moment like the way that you can. Basically, you could exactly recreate the moment of you looking at a picture on your phone. Mm. Whereas the moment in the museum when you come around the corner and you see a painting is completely completely different. There's just like a an extra dimensional serendip serendipity yeah. yeah i think it's really it's really just like there's no words for it it's mm. hard possibly or probably for me even more enjoyable than going to the louvre in paris was stumbling on this um museum gallery of one of my favorite painters gustave moreau remember because mm-hmm. we, we saw the sign for it and i was like oh we should go there like mm-hmm. um but then we just said well let's just go on that street and see so we saw the building which is like oh he lived here this was really cool and then it was free, and we were like, let's go in. Yeah. And it was that serendip moment. And most of the paintings were things that I'd seen online before, mm-hmm. but seeing them in person, it was like mind-blowingly different. It was not the same thing at all. Yeah. And it was really the first time that I had seen paintings um, that I really liked digitally or in mm-hmm. print before, but then eventually, I suppose, made some kind of pilgrimage, however incidental yeah. um, and unknowing, to see them in person. Mm-hmm. And it was just, yeah... It's weirdly different. I mean, the scale of things though yeah, is the size of spectacular. Things I mean, we difference. saw the Mona Lisa, which everyone is familiar with, and you're like, I feel like everyone's first thought when they see it in person is probably a bit small. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely thought that because I was a really, really, really big Van Gogh fan. I'm still a Van Gogh fan. I actually, it was a past tense thing. But when I first saw his, the first of his paintings that I've seen in my life when we were in England, I remember thinking just like, these are so much smaller than I thought they would be. And not in like a negative way and just like a, you could never That's a good point. figure that out on a screen. Even if you see a person standing next to it, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't do any, do it justice. And then you see it in prison and you think, okay, he chose it to be this, this size. Like, why mm. would he do that? Like, there's just like a That's lot. A point. It just. The element of human scale because screens are dimensionless. On the one hand, they're infinite. On the other hand, they're mm-hmm. absolutely volumeless and dimensionless and yeah. just voids. Mm-hmm. so thanks for listening everybody <laughs> screens of voids life um, is joyed yeah joyed. i think we i think most people would have got a bingo on this episode yeah. so congratulations on that everyone <laughs> thank you for listening tune in next week for something else random and fun mm-hmm. bye